People need hope. Ever since sin came into the world, our world has been a volatile and uncertain place, hasn't it? And it's easy to think that division, that brokenness and hurting are worse now than ever when we look at our news screens, when we see what's happening around us. But I don't necessarily think that's true. Because ever since we, as humans, decided to be disobedient to God, the world's been broken. It's been confusing. And it's been chaotic. There's been disharmony. There's been pain and unkindness. And yet into that chaos steps Jesus. You see, that's what Easter is all about. Easter is the climax of God's rescue mission for us. It's his rescue mission to wipe away that brokenness, to heal those divisions, to bring his complete restoration. Easter shows Jesus for who he is. It shows him to be our champion, our hero, our saviour, and our bringer of hope. So this Easter, our preaching series is going to be looking at different ways that Jesus brings hope into the world, and importantly, how we can respond to him. And today, we're going to be looking at how Jesus brings hope to the hurting. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Mark 1, it may seem odd that an Easter preaching series is starting right at the start of a gospel, but the words will be on the screen um, from the New International Version. And we're going to be reading about Jesus healing a man with leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Why was he indignant? We'll find out a little bit later on. But he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. In Jesus' society, people with skin diseases were majorly stigmatised. The word leprosy in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean the disease that we call leprosy today. It can mean all manner of diseases. It can even mean mildew or mould. What it really means is unclean or defiled. That's the meaning of the term. And I'm pretty sure the man in this story wasn't just a little bit mouldy. In the context of this passage, leprosy could mean boils, carbuncles, fungal infections, impetigo, scabies, or eczema. And if you had that type of condition, you're actually excluded from society because you couldn't go to the temple to worship, you couldn't mix with other people. And if you did touch somebody, then that person became ceremonially unclean. They became defiled as well. And they couldn't go to the temple until they'd gone through a cleansing ritual. So I think it's fair to say that if you had this type of skin disease, 
you'd have been quite unpopular. You'd have been excluded from society. You'd have been on the outside of society, looking in. And if no cure was available, you'd have been without hope. You would have been shunned, despised, left in your own pain and distress. Now, the first thing I noticed about the man suffering from leprosy in this passage is the way he approaches Jesus. This man knows that he's an outcast. He knows he's taking a huge risk, even talking to Jesus and approaching him. He's risking rejection. He's risking ridicule and insult. So he literally gets on his knees and begs for help. If you're willing, you can make me clean, he says. He takes this risk because he knows that Jesus can make him well. What he's less sure about is whether Jesus wants to make him well. And he soon finds out that Jesus is indeed willing to make him well and does it in a very, very surprising way. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Lots of English translations, maybe the one that you're using today, don't say indignant, but they say Jesus was filled with compassion or filled with pity. And the reason that the most recent New International Version translation and some other translations say that Jesus was filled with anger because a lot of the early reliable Greek manuscripts use a term that means filled with anger or indignant. But why was Jesus indignant? I don't think he was angry at the man for approaching Jesus. That doesn't sound very Jesus, does it? I don't think he was angry at the man questioning whether Jesus was willing to heal him or not. I think it's more likely that Jesus was angry at the fact that we're living in a broken world where things like disease cause so much pain and distress. I think Jesus was angry because this man was forced to live as an outcast, despised and rejected by society. Seeing people hurting, especially when the hurt is caused by people being shunned and rejected, makes God angry. As I've already said, no one would have touched someone with leprosy because to do so would have made that person unclean as well. But Jesus, motivated by anger against sin and compassion for this man, reaches out and touches the untouchable, healing him and making him completely clean. Now, I find this passage as I find most passages, quite challenging for a number of reasons. We need to be motivated. We need to be moved by the same anger against sin, the same anger against injustice that Jesus was driven by. And we need to be moved by the same sacrificial love that Jesus had. Now, before I had children, I would have described myself as a really calm really level-headed and really mild-mannered person. And as I look back on the last nine years or so, I wonder where that mild-mannered person went. (laughs) Because my kids, like all kids, are really good at finding just the right buttons to press to turn me into some sort of rage machine. (laughs) 
It's probably difficult for you to, to understand, but... Sometimes I get angry that things that don't, about things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes I get angry about them breaking something or spoiling something or not listening. But I think my boys know that if they want to get me angry, the best thing they can do is to be unkind to each other, is to exclude each other or to cause each other pain. In fact, if you've ever visited the Dent House, you'll have seen our house rules displayed very clearly on our fridge. Um, these have really been useful since we had children. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not laughing, ask the person next to you while they are laughing. But these are the Dent House rules. In this house, we show that we love each other by using kind hands and feet, using kind words, and listening to each other. Still there, Norma, you see. Still using those. And I like to think that when my boys do break the house rules, I correct them in a loving way, in a proportionate way, in a very level-headed way. My wife isn't in the room at the moment. She would probably be laughing. <laughs> but you see, anger can be a great motivating force when used for good. Throughout history, we can see how anger has been a force for good. Anger against persecution was one of the motivating forces behind the abolition of slavery. Anger against injustice was one of the motivating forces that led Sarah and her team to set up the food bank. Anger against injustice and exclusion is one of the things that gets Antonio literally out of bed in the morning and onto the streets with his team. And anger against sin, if you need reminding, is what motivated God to send his son to die for us to step into this chaos and to break the power of sin and death on that first Easter. So one of the challenges for me is, am I angered by the right things? Or am I only angered by things from a selfish standpoint? Do I spend my time being angry because I feel I've been overlooked or wronged? Because if these are the only things that I'm angered by, then I probably need to think about my perspective. We need angry people in the church. As I was getting pictures of angry people, these are the three that sprang to mind. I couldn't think of too many women, actually, who I could put, who are known for having outbursts and maybe not using their anger in the right way. Maybe that says a lot about the male gender, I don't know. But you see, we need angry people in the church, but people who are angry and use that anger for constructive things, not destructive things like the people in this picture. Of course, the well-meaning man in this story didn't listen to Jesus, did he? When Jesus said, I don't really want you telling anybody about what's happened. Please don't go blabbing. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. And to be honest, I can't really blame him. He went around telling people how great Jesus was. And the sort of irony in this story is that when Jesus did that, sorry, when the man did that, the sort of tables were turned, weren't they? It wasn't the man who was having to go into seclusion. It was Jesus having to go into seclusion. So we're just going to spend the next few minutes unpacking some of the practical outworkings of this passage today. And the first thing I want to share with you 
is that no situation is truly hopeless. Maybe you're hurting like the man with leprosy in our story today. You might even feel that your spirit is broken. Your life situation feels hopeless. Now, we can all go through periods where things feel hopeless and where the circumstances of life just feel as though they're pushing down on us and getting the better of us. If that's you today, I want to remind you that hopelessness is a symptom of life lived without acknowledging the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe you know the truth of who Jesus is and you've enjoyed hope and joy and everything good. But you know, it's so easy for that hope and joy to get sucked out of us, isn't it? So easy for us to get distracted by the business of life or by what's in front of us. I know there are people here who are facing real trouble, hardship, serious illness. And from the world's perspective, things do look pretty hopeless. But the great thing is, we don't need to look at things through the world's perspective. We get the opportunity to look at things through God's perspective. Now, Mr. Chris shared a few weeks ago um, on this. He shared the news about his cancer. And, of course, with Mr. Chris, we're playing, praying fervently that he would be healed and released from that cancer. From a worldly point of view, that just doesn't happen. But we're trusting in God for it. What a great demonstration of God's power that would be. But Mr. Chris also shared his eternal perspective with us. The tension that these two things are held in. That if God wants to call him home, Mr. Chris is an even bigger winner. Because he gets to be with God. And that's a great example of looking at things with God's perspective. Now, you might think that's, that sounds a little bit too simplistic. Actually, it is simple. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. It takes faith. And as we were reminded earlier, the enemy loves to attack our faith and tell us lies that are going to drag us away from the truth. That's why it's so important that we surround people in difficult or in seemingly impossible situations with prayer, with love, with support, so that they can have the faith they need to keep that perspective. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to list all those heroes of the Old Testament who exercised their faith and accomplished great things for God. And why does the writer of Hebrews draw our attention to the faith of these heroes? Well, they explain in the following chapter to encourage us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. To encourage us to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that passage, but the headline here is that no situation is truly hopeless because Jesus is our champion. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our champion. He's defeated sin, he's defeated death, and he's ruling in authority. So if your faith has taken a battering which happens to all of us from time to time, by the way. If sin has taken hold of you and slowed you down, which happens to all of us, by the way, 
or if you've just become distracted by the circumstances and sheer busyness of your life, which, guess what, happens to all of us from time to time, then run with perseverance. And as that passage says, fix your eyes on Jesus because hope is a symptom of acknowledging Jesus as Lord in every part of your life. Now, I'm sure there are those here who have never taken that step of putting their trust in Jesus, of kneeling before him with a broken spirit and of asking for help. If that's you, there's an opportunity to put your trust in him today. And to know the hope that I've been talking about today. You see, Jesus offers those who fear that there is no way out freedom. He offers everyone joy, peace, forgiveness, and purpose. What we need to do is get on our knees before him and acknowledge the truth of who he is and to trust him for the rest. The other application for us today is that there are no outsiders in the kingdom of God. The fact that the man in our Bible passage was unable to enjoy a fulfilling relationship with God and with others made Jesus angry. So when we see people being stigmatised, being outcast, that should make us angry too. We're a diverse family. There are no outsiders here. Our nation is incredibly divided at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed. Split almost 50-50. Our whole society seems to be on a knife edge, doesn't it? Tensions seem to be at an all-time high. And we, as the church, need to counter that. So let's watch the attitude we have with people who have a different opinion to us. Let's watch the language we use when we're speaking with them. Let's sow love and healing into our world instead of hate and disharmony. If you feel as though you're not quite part of this family, if you feel as though you're on the outside looking in, we'd love to help you address that. Please don't suffer in silence. Our prayer is for everybody here to know that they are welcome, to know that they are included, to know that they are a part of God's family. So don't leave here if that's you today without speaking to us and praying that through. And the last thing I'm just going to touch on very briefly is chasing a deeper relationship with God. Jesus sent the man away with a very stern warning. And as I've said, he ignored that warning, didn't he? He went and told anybody who would listen, I do not blame him, that's what he did. You see, Jesus lived an authentic, spirit-filled life, didn't he? Jesus was always open to God's leading, always ready to step out in faith and in love. And living that sort of life causes God's kingdom rule to break in. And it causes miracles to break out. So if we see, if we want to see miracles, then we need to live that sort of life as well. We'll see the lost being reached and we'll see the oppressed set free. We'll see an increase in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our Sunday meetings and also throughout the week, wherever we find ourselves. As Richard said earlier, one of the things we've been praying about this week is revival. We want to see a great move of God's church and we believe that he's going to do that. 
accompanied by signs and wonders that can only be him at work. But you see, the reason that Jesus told this man not to tell anybody what had happened is he didn't want people to follow him just because he performed miracles. He didn't want people to follow him because he gave an impressive sideshow or nice feelings. In other words, Jesus didn't want the miraculous signs and wonders that he was doing to distract from his message. Because we desperately want to see an increase in the Holy Spirit working. That's why we have these banners here, encouraging people to live all out for God. But we don't want to see miracles for miracles' sake, do we? We don't meet together Sunday by Sunday so we can chase a worship experience, have a nice feeling and be entertained, do we? We don't meet here Sunday by Sunday so we can go home in exactly the same state that we arrived in, just having been entertained. God wants us all in. He wants us submerged in a deeper relationship with him, not bobbing about on the surface or paddling about in the shallows. So like this banner over here says, he wants us to deal with any unconfessed sin and forgive any grievance that we have against each other. He wants us to get rid of any doubtful habits. Obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit immediately when we hear him. And he wants us to publicly confess Christ every day. You see, miracles are great because they bless, because they release, because they bring freedom. But they are powerful because they point people to God. They reflect his character and they ultimately bring him praise and glory. So as we prepare for Easter this year, it's my prayer that we'd all know the hope that comes from knowing Jesus as our Lord. But let's not keep that hope to ourselves. Let's ask him how he would have us take that hope and to take his Holy Spirit into the places that we inhabit, the places we find ourselves throughout the week, so that we can bring hope and release to the hurting, so that we can bring hope and a home to outsiders so that we can build deeper, spirit-led, faith-filled relationships with him, yeah. just like Jesus. Yeah. Can I ask you to stand if you're able to, please? And band, if you could join me on the stage, please. Thank you. Now, I realise that time has gone, but I do think it's important that we respond. So... <coughs> I'm going to pray for three things. And actually, if you want to respond to any of these three prayers, then I want to encourage you to come down to the front. We've got plenty of space here. And those three, three things that we've touched on today are that if you don't yet know Jesus, if you do not yet know the hope, the freedom of being in a relationship with Jesus, then we would love to talk to you. We would love to pray with you and explain a little bit more about what that means. And we would love for you to know that freedom today. That's an opportunity. We've already prayed for healing today, but if you couldn't quite get yourself out of your chair, but you do know that you need healing for something, then please do come to the front. But importantly, it's important that we pray for faith to have God's perspective.
because I think that is going to open up so much for us as a church and for each of us individually. So if you feel as though maybe through busyness, through sin, through any situation of life, through disappointment, that your faith has taken, taken a battering and you need to be reminded of God's perspective, then I want to invite you down to the front as we sing this next worship song. So I'm going to pray and then the band's going to lead us. And if that's you, then please do start to come down to the front while I pray. Don't wait for the last few bars of the song because we'd love to pray with you. Thank you, Lord, that you are God and you are King. Thank you, God, that you give hope to the hurting. Thank you that you give a home to the outsider. Thank you that in your family there are no outsiders, Lord. And thank you, God, that in the most hopeless situations, there is hope because you are Lord Jesus. Pray that we would know that now, Lord, as we worship you. And God, we wouldn't just leave this place in the same state that we arrived in. Amen.